Well, good morning, church. Glad to be back with you finally. Uh, We've been on the road a little while and on a mission trip. Uh, It's been a fun month, but we are glad to get back with you and worship on the first day of the week with the family of God right here at Cross Point. What a joy it is to have such a loving family uh, that we get to be with each and every week. Amen? I know that you are equally excited about being here uh, together to, to, to praise God, to lift His name up, to gather around the Lord's table, to dig into His Word as we will momentarily. I know Cale did a great job of preaching while I was gone. Yeah. Uh, we followed him on a podcast, and you guys have told me what a great job. As a matter of fact, I, I said, Rob, we've got to get back. I'm going to lose my job. I've got <laughs> to hurry up. So, uh, but it is good to be back, and he did a great job revealing the Word of God uh, in the Sermon on the Mount uh, over the month of July. And we're going to start a brand new series today uh, out of the book of Romans, uh, chapter 13. So if you've got your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn with me there as we begin uh, to dig in over a six-week uh, period of time where we're going to dig into God's Word as Paul reveals it in uh, the letter to the church at Rome. Uh, there are going to be many things that we don't talk about. We're going to talk about over six weeks some hinge points within that letter of how God has called us to live as a people, as God has called us to live as his ambassadors here on earth, how uh, our life is to look if we are to truly imitate God in every possible way. Uh, And I think Paul is going to direct and steer us toward the uh, uh, vision of the end destination of our journey as we get into the mix of uh, this letter to the church at Rome. Uh, Now, when I was a a Walmart manager in retail, if you've been in retail, you understand what inventory is all about. And we do that once a year. We have a special company that comes in and they literally count every single thing in the store. There are things that we have to do in the weeks and days that lead up to that one-day event, Uh, but if you're in management, you pretty much camp out there the day before the event because you've got to make sure everything's priced correctly, everything is on the right hook, all the stock room is in order and able to be seen. So when you come in, you ask the general manager, what's my list of things to do? And he gives you kind of, in a nutshell, these are the things that you need to be worried about and take care of before you can go home. So in a lot of ways, we're going to do that with Romans. There are a lot of things that we could dig into, discuss, and articulate, but we are going to look at some hinge points that Paul gives us about living this Christian life as we are followers of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at some of those over the next uh, six weeks. You know, God has done so much for us. He has given us so much. You agree with that? I mean, he has blessed us in so many incredible ways. So deeply has he loved us. I mean, we could never repay what he's done for us. All he asks in return uh, is that we pay it forward in our life, that we live a life that reflects how we love him uh, and that we love those around us as well. That's the hinge point of the gospel message. That is the center, the target, if you will. And Paul is going to pull that out in the text we're going to take a look at uh, this morning. As we take a look at what Paul reveals to us, we see uh, a life not only as he admonishes us to follow, but we can also look back at the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, at the life of Jesus, and we get to see how he loved on people, how he forgave, how he offered mercy and grace and compassion to all of those around him. And that is a different script than our world lives by. And we are called as people of God to look like Jesus, to imitate 
Jesus. And so over this next few weeks, we're going to unpack what that looks like. Uh, Paul does a great job of showing us this beautiful rendition of what the gospel looks like in his, church, in his letter to the church at Rome. He, he gives an impassioned, beautiful plea about unity in the church as people of God. What are our lives supposed to look like? How are we supposed to get along? What should we be doing with those around us? And then he reminds us that it's been God's plan all along that the entire world be saved through his son, Jesus Christ. That that has been the plan from the beginning of time. He moves into then, in chapter 13 kind of talking about the heart of what the gospel message truly is. And we're going to kick off our series in chapter 13, beginning in verse 8. Paul says, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. Paul wants the church in Rome, and in so doing, reveals to us today what the heart of the gospel message is. That we love those around us, and by doing that, we take on the personality of Jesus Christ. We take on his nature and character of who God truly is at his core and essence. You know, when you go on a long trip, you don't talk to the kids on that vacation trip, and you know what I'm talking about. You've been there before. You don't talk about uh, the long hours you might spend in the car together. You might not talk about the direction that you're going and how long it's going to take you to get there. You might not even talk about the incredible, interesting smells that happen along the way when you're in the car all together for a long period of time. You may remember this movie, 1983, it came out, National Lampoon's Vacation. And Clark is bent, they're coming from middle America, they're traveling out to California to a place called Wally World. That's where they want to go, that's where they want to be, that's all he talks about. But there's lots of cool things the family wants to see on the way. You might remember that iconic moment when they get to the Grand Canyon. You remember. He gets out of the car, puts his hand around his son, puts his arm around his son. Well, there it is. Beautiful, isn't it? Let's get back in the car. Here we go. Uh, Romans is a lot like that. Paul continually reminds us about the end destination, where we're headed, what our life should look like in order to spend an eternity with our Creator. What a beautiful picture Paul paints for us. But in his letter to this church in Rome, there are two groups of people within the congregation. You're either a Jew or you're a Gentile, which is a non-Jew. And that is pretty much everybody in this room this morning as well. He talks to the Jews and he says, yes, you have a pedigree. You have a heritage. You are descendant from Abraham. You have always been God's people, the Israelites. You are pretty special, but don't let that go to your head. That's not what will get you into the good graces of God. And Gentiles, you used to not have a history, but now God has grafted you into the family of God. You have been adopted into that family, but don't think you're too special. Both sets of people need to be reminded that Jesus changes everything. 
Jesus changes everything in our life. And it doesn't matter how good you think you are, what your pedigree is, how many times you've been to church on Sunday, doesn't matter what you're listening to in the car, everything pales in comparison to this idea. Jesus changes everything. Paul isn't concerned about the spiritual past or the lack of that spiritual past. What he's focused on is presently how are you living your life out for God and your future with Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, he ends up asking a question of this first century church, and in turn, he asks us again today that all-important question is, have you trusted Jesus with your salvation? Is he everything to you? Is he at the very top of your list when you wake up in the morning and when you go to bed at night? Is he something that you long for, that you want to represent in your life each and every day? Paul says in our text this morning, the only way to fulfill the law is by loving God and loving people. He says, you accomplish that. And the rule keeping doesn't matter. He's speaking mostly to the Jews in this moment. You see, what Paul wants to point out is that Jesus is the fulfillment of every part of the law. And when we make a decision to imitate Jesus, when we make a decision to disciple and follow him, then we are fulfilling the law. Paul goes on in verse 8, he mentions that we should love our neighbor. And we've talked about this off and on. But who is my neighbor? Because we think about at times the house on either side of us or maybe in our apartment complex. We we think about maybe our cul-de-sac or maybe even our neighborhood. And while all that is part of the picture, our neighborhood is actually a lot bigger than that. Maybe for you, the neighbor is that soldier stationed in Afghanistan that you've decided to send a care package to. Maybe it's a pregnant teenage girl who has decided to come to the Grand Prairie Pregnancy Center to discover what she needs to do in life, and you've given time or money towards that effort to help be a neighbor, someone who loves. Maybe for you, the neighbor is the parents of your child's friends. You haven't met them yet, but it's on your list. You want to get to know them what they're about, who they are, and share your story with them equally as well. Maybe it's the crossing guard, the person who helps your child cross the street. School's going to start very soon. Sorry to announce that if you're a teen or below in this room. Maybe that's your neighbor, to love on them just a little bit. Maybe, maybe your neighbor is that kid in an Eastern European public school now that the iron gate is, or the iron curtain is down, you have the ability to put Bibles in their classroom so they too can hear the gospel message, who Jesus Christ truly is in their life. And the list goes on and on and on of folks that you can neighbor. You see, the law of God was never intended for us to, to feel guilty. It wasn't meant for us to feel guilt in that we could not accomplish what was set out in the law. It was always intended to point everyone in the direction of the fulfillment of the law. That's Jesus Christ. No one can keep the law, and so you and I 
desperately need Jesus to change everything for us. We need him in our life. We need him to be a part of who we are and we to be a part of who he is. And we look at his life and we discover what it means like to love the people around us, to follow his example, to live as he lived. You see, it's more than just a catchphrase, what would Jesus do? It is a lifestyle that you and I make a decision to adopt, to say, that's who I want to be. I want to have a different script than the world around me. I want to be a different person than the script the world offers. I want to be a drink of water in an oasis. I want to be an extension of God's hope in Jesus Christ. So the question remains this morning, how are we going to cover the debt that Paul talks about in his letter to the church in Rome? Paul quotes Jesus and what he said in Matthew chapter 22. Jesus says, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. You see, understanding who God is is what Paul wants to reveal in his letter. That it is a a message of hope and love and grace. Compassion extended to all of creation. And this morning in our short time together, I want to give you three ideas of why I think that we are called to love. Why we need to love. We love, one, because we owe it to God. God has done so much for us. Verse 8, we are reminded of how much he has done for us. All through the story of text and scripture, we're reminded of what he gave up for us. His son, Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law. You see, there are many people out there that call themselves Christians that think they can work their way to heaven. If I just keep enough rules, if I just have everything in check, if I do everything right and I've got my clipboard and I'm checking things off as I go, I'll be good enough. I'll be able to keep the law. But if that were possible for a human to be able to do that, then it would have been a sad issue of God sending his son to die a horrible death. On this earth. You see, we don't owe God something because He's angry with us or, or because He's an unfair God or, or maybe that He's overcharged us in some way, a way that we can't reimburse or can't pay back. But we owe God because He has paid everything for us. He's taken care of the stain that was on our life, He's taken our sin away as far as the East is from the West. He has thrown our disgrace away because of what his son did for us on the cross. Think about that day, the last day that Jesus was on this earth before his crucifixion. Late at night, in the dark of night, he's arrested in the garden. And he's taken all over the city to different moments where he is put on trial. And at those trials, he is hit in the face. He's slapped. He's spit upon until finally he ends up in front of Pilate who has him flogged within an inch of his life he's in the praetorium at this point and the soldiers are making fun of him hail 
king of the Jews. And they create a crown of thorns. They place it on his head and push it down so it sinks into his skull. He has a pounding headache at this point. Blood loss is immense. And they end up putting his own instrument of destruction on his back and march him through the city to be made fun of some more. He marches out the gate up the hill of Golgotha where they throw him on the ground and Roman soldiers take huge spikes, three of them, and pierce his body. They then raise that body between heaven and earth. Oh, what love. And his last words as he hung on the cross, it is finished. It's a done deal. I've struck the bargain. I've paid the price for my creation. It is accomplished. If I'm a vendor, if I'm a merchant in the open market there in Jesus' day, and you come to my tent and you're wanting to make a purchase, you give me the money for the product, I give you the product and a bill of sale, and at the very end of the bill of sale, at the bottom I write, paid in full. It's the same exact word that Jesus says on the cross. It is finished. He says, for your sin and mine, paid in full. I've taken all of it on me. There is hope for you. There is joy for you. There is forgiveness for you. You see, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. And we show our commitment to our God, to his son Jesus Christ, by living a life that looks like his, loving and sharing compassion, grace, mercy, and forgiveness for all those around us. A few weeks ago, we finished a series out of 1 John. The apostle John writes that book, and he says in chapter 4 and verse 19 that we love because he first loved us. I mean, it was me that was punching him in the face, me spitting on him, me nailing those nails in. And even in that moment, Jesus looks at me and says, I still love you. I'm going to pay the price for you despite what's going on to me. And once we realize the depth of his love, we can no longer be committed to a shallow way of living, a selfish way of living, love with strings attached. No, we love full throttle like God has loved us. We love on those around us despite what may be happening in their life because that's the script that God gives us as his followers. We love because we owe it to God, but we also love because we owe it to the people around us. People that need to hear the message of hope that is Jesus Christ. You see, when we read through the story of God, what we realize is that people matter to God. And so people should matter to us as well. We imitate God in every way. We follow his leading in every way. We are who he's called us to be in every way. We show love to others when we understand how much we have been loved, what we have been forgiven of, and we extend that love and forgiveness to those around us. And we don't love other people by by showing them their fault or thumping them with the Bible. We're not the God enforcer. Paul warns us 
to make a real difference for Jesus that we have to be compassionate and kind and long-suffering and patient. We have to love those around us. We aren't called necessarily to endorse behavior, but we are called to love. And when we do this, church, we have a so much better chance of sharing the story of Jesus Christ because we look different than the world around us. We get to share that message of love and joy and hope to those who would listen. You may remember back in 2006 in Pennsylvania, there, there was a guy by the name of Charlie. He was 32 years old. He walked into an Amish schoolhouse and he shot 10 little girls before taking his own life. Five of those little girls died. His mother, Terry, lived in the community with her husband. She was aware of everything that was going on the day it was happening and already contemplated, we're going to have to move. The day the shooting happened, the Amish community came to her house and prayed over them, forgave them, and said, I know you're probably thinking about moving, but we don't want you to. Who does that? That's such a hard moment in life. People that do that are folks who have made a decision to imitate Jesus in every way, to to forgive even in the most difficult of circumstances. A few days later at her son's funeral, the Amish community showed up in support of her and her husband at the funeral, prayed over them and with them. There were mothers in the audience who had lost their children in that moment. That community community could teach us a little bit about love and forgiveness. What does it mean to look like Jesus? I mean, how many of us truly believe the story of Jesus, his life, and how true that is for us? Because Jesus' story has actually set us free. We were bound by Satan. We were locked away in a prison cell. But Jesus came and opened the door for us. He loosened the shackles. He said, what I did on the cross has now set you free. You no longer have to live by the script that the world gives you. I'm giving you a new script. I'm giving you something that has love and hope, joy involved in the storyline. And that story is so incredibly important in our lives as Jesus' followers. Paul goes on to say, to the church in Colossae, in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28, this text. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God, perfect in their relationship to Christ. Paul reminds each and every one of us that our duty as followers of Christ is to let others know what that story is, to live that out in words and action, to be someone who is consumed with looking like Jesus. And when Jesus becomes the focus of our life, when we make a decision to love his way, that is a powerful combo in the world in which we live. Because what we find out is that we love because we owe it to the world. The world is our neighborhood. Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 8, Verse 11, beginning. 
this is all the more urgent. Paul is telling the church and telling us today, it's urgent that we tell the story of hope and love to all those who would listen. This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Clothe yourself with the presence of Jesus Christ. Paul reminds us it's time, church, to wake up. It's time to share that message of hope and love to all those who would listen to something different that the world has to offer them. A few weeks ago, as I said, we, we finished up in 1 John where we understood God to be described as light and love. And the purpose of light is to dispel darkness. Paul tells the church and us today, wake up. It's time to tell the message of hope. Don't be lulled to sleep. Don't become comfortable. Many times I settle into my own existence and my own comfort level, and I forget about the urgency of telling the story of Jesus to all those around me, whether in word or deed, to share that message of righteousness that is the hope this world has for eternal life. I read this quote on social media this week, and I thought it appropriate said, your evangelism will sound like a sales pitch when your Jesus is just an idea and not a living person who you actually know. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm tired of sales pitches. I'm ready to know the truth about a God that loves you, who's forgiven you, who sent his son for you, paid the ultimate price for you. And so who do you know in life that needs love on? Who do you know that you need to love on? The front end of this year, we did a series, Enough, talking about the theme for the year. And at the very end of January, you may remember, we have this tree out in the commons. And we invited you guys to write names on these wooden clips and attach them to the tree with the idea that you and I would be praying for these names. We would be talking with them about the story of Christ. We would be loving on them, journeying with these particular people. And my question is, it is August and we're headed back to school. That was in January. How many of us have prayed for the names that we put on the tree? How many of us have reached out offering lunch or coffee to talk about the journey in life? How many of us have loved on or mended the relationship with either maybe a co-worker that you put on the tree? Mended a relationship with Maybe an an adult uh, child who's made some tough decisions in life that you didn't agree with. Maybe to treat your spouse better than you have been in the past. Any number of things that might have been added to that tree, relationships that are represented on the tree. You and I are called to love like Jesus. We're called to help. Others see the joy that we have in Jesus. Why? Because Jesus changes everything. He moves us in a direction that nothing else on the face of the earth can or will. And why? Football season is upon us. Praise the Lord. (laughs) 
You're going to look out in the stands at some of those games and, games, and you're going to see that all-familiar text from John 3.16. This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Wow, how precious are you and I to God Almighty. He sent his one and only son. And the beauty of the grace of Jesus Christ is that he doesn't expect us to pay it back. What he wants us to do in our life is to pay it forward. He he wants us to love on those that we come in contact with. He wants us to live a life that's paralleled to who God's called us to be. And Paul admonishes us today as the church, it's time to wake up. It's time to spread that message of hope and joy and love that is Jesus Christ to all those who will listen. And so that's the encouragement I offer today through the Apostle Paul. As we begin this series, the hinge point of the gospel, love God, love people. That's it in a nutshell. I'm going to invite Brad and the praise team back to the stage at this time. And as we sing this song, my guess is there may be some of us in here who've got something heavy on our heart. Maybe we haven't let go of something. We haven't offered the forgiveness that maybe we should have. We haven't loved as deeply as we could have. And so our shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room. And I want to encourage you to go seek one of them out. Let them pray for you and over you. Let them pull you in tight. Let God do his work through his son and his blood to wash away every stain, every hindrance that you may be experiencing in following his story. I want to encourage you in the Holy Spirit to think about this week how you are going to be called to imitate Jesus Christ. He's waiting for you to move. It's time for us to wake up. Let's stand and sing together.